Hi, thanks for listening to the Piercing Talk Show. I'm David Angelus, and I've been piercing full-time as a career for the past five years. I currently pierce at Talisman Tattoo in Plymouth, England. I've gathered together some friends and industry peers so we can discuss both the history of the modern UK piercing industry, as well as the techniques, hygiene practices, and jewellery debates which we're all passionate about today. You can join in with these debates on one of the many UK industry forums across social media, so we all have the opportunity to improve our clients' experiences with modern British piercing. Hi, um, thanks for listening to the very first Piercing Talk Show. Um, as, as I'm sure you can guess, this show was born out of lockdown in the UK uh, during COVID-19, um, and, and my desire to do literally anything piercing orientated during this time. Um, uh, it's a show I've been thinking about putting together for a while for a few reasons. Um, whilst there are already a great many piercing podcasts, such as, as Ryan Let's Piercing Wizard, um, and some really phenomenal um, piercing history projects, such as, as Sacred Debris, um, Paul King's Piercing Archive, and Charlie LeBeau's UK Piercing Archive, um, I always felt that the two could be combined really, really well. Um, as some of you will know, um, I, before I got the opportunity to open where I am now at Talisman Tattoo, um, I was actually pursuing a career as an academic historian um, with a particular obsession with oral history. Um, oral history uses exclusively interviews as primary research method. Um, there are also a great many oral history podcasts already in existence, but as piercing wasn't really among them, I wanted to add to it. Um, as well as all this, I wanted to show younger piercers the journey that the people they look up to went on to get into piercing. Um, sometimes when listening to interviews with piercers, I've certainly felt that it's, it's easy to find what they've achieved unattainable. Um, it's my hope that by talking to piercers later in their careers, who are achieving things like APP minimum standards, um, about the journey they went on to get into piercing, um, it can help to make the whole process seem far more achievable to piercers who've yet to begun um, or yet to begin working towards achieving best practice standards, whether that's jewellery, aseptic practice, or, or even studio ownership. Um, so a little bit about my own story. Um, I started piercing five years ago um, in a god-awful chain shop where I was expected to do 60-plus piercings a day um, with bottom-of-the-rung external thread jewellery. Um, we worked out once that um, it, it, with the amount of piercings that we had to do when factoring in things like, like breaks, um, we had seven minutes per client, um, which uh, if you're using a hard surface disinfectant like Clonel, for example, uh, which takes five minutes to work, leaves you precisely two minutes to perform uh, a single piercing. Of course, if they have booked in for multiple piercings, that time was not being extended. Uh, so you had essentially two minutes to prep, mark, and perform um, the uh, uh, yeah, however many piercings that person had, had booked in and paid for. Um, after nine months of that, I, I, I couldn't do it anymore. I, I quit and I, I didn't do any more piercing at all for another nine months, as far as I was concerned. Um, I had been fascinated with the industry since I was 14. I was 26 at this point. Um, and I kind of felt like you should never meet your idols. You know, I'd had, I'd, I'd had my time in that industry. It was nothing like I expected it was going to be. Um, and I didn't want to do it anymore. Um, now, after nine months, uh, a friend and a tattooist um, was absolutely desperate for a piercer um, and asked if I'd and come and do it for a bit. And I kind of ummed and ahed and said, like, I, you know, all right, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll come and do it for a bit. Um, and at the time, um, I spoke to, uh, to Ray George, who um, pierces at um, Two Rivers in Cardiff. Um, 
uh, at Etherealist X on, um, on Instagram. Um, and she invited me into the UK piercing professionals group um, where I started to learn about minimum jewellery standards, aseptic practice and other things which I now consider to be a minimum standard. Um, and I really kind of I got the passion back for it again. You know, I started seeing all this beautiful jewellery and I got the opportunity to, uh, to work with some of it when I went up to, to, to shadow someone um, nearby. And um, it just that everything that I felt about piercing when I was 14 years old just all came flooding back to me um, and I started getting really passionate about it again. Um, so I started slowly working towards meeting those standards. Um, I got a phenomenal amount of help from people in the group um, and it certainly wouldn't have been possible without them. Um, that was two years ago and I've changed shops since then but I'm now a member of the UK APP um, and surpassed many of the minimum standards which they and the, the Association of Professional Piercers set. Um, I started at that first shop um, you know, with the uh, a tattooist who um, sort of after I left after I left the chain, um, I started in that shop with two hundred quid and two boxes of cannula needles that the previous piercer had left behind, um, and I really have no outside investment or anything like that. Um, so I feel it's very achievable. You know, it, it, there's a lot of things which feel like a, a barrier, often financial, um, but I really feel that if I can reach that goal, my absolute belief that 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 you can too. Um, so the first guest I have on this week um, is Dee from Pearl Collective in Newbury. Um, Dee was one of the first piercers who I ever followed on Instagram um, and someone who's really gone above and beyond during COVID-19. Um, she's helped piercers get the support and grants they've depended on during closure and has really helped us all make sense of the various legislation that's come crashing down on us since. Um, she's an unbelievably talented piercer who's been going for a deceptively long time considering she's still in her 20s. Um, but most importantly, she's got a really phenomenal story about her journey into piercing, which I hope you're really going to enjoy. Here it is. So, um, very first interview um, of Piercing Talk Show. Um, I'm, I'm here with Dee. Um, you want to introduce yourself? Hi, so I'm Dee, a.k.a. Deanna, a.k.a. Piercings by Dee, a.k.a. Pearl Collective. <laughs> Cool. Um, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, you were exactly the sort of person that I wanted for the first episode, to be honest, um, because you're super active on the group and I think everyone knows exactly who you are. Um, so yeah, you were absolutely perfect for the first, first one to, to come on. Um, so I'm hoping that everyone knows who I am now. I think that'd be hard I was not definitely to. very quiet for the first couple of years of being in that group and then the whole covid shit came in and thanks to my knowledge of politics and studying in law i was like yeah i could probably help a few people in the group and ever since then i've been like the mum of knowledge like it's just everyone comes to me and it's been amazing I mean, even before that, though, like, you, you were actually, um, this is a, a, maybe a slightly embarrassing thing to admit, but you were one of the first piercers I ever followed on Instagram. Um, and I remember looking at your follow account and just being like, damn, she, I mean, what are you, like, you've got a really high follow account, <laughs> follower account, uh, follow account, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah. like, yeah. I, I mean, I'm still, like, um, my Instagram's been active for nearly two years, and I'm, I think I've got less than a tenth 
So, like, yeah, you and Kim Hutchinson were, like, the first two piercers who I ever followed on Instagram. Um, anyway. Still followed. <laughs> um, I follow a few more now. I still try and keep it down. <laughs> I used to have a blanket rule that I followed back everyone, and then that that, that hasn't worked. Um Anyway, I'm going I'm gonna, to gonna move on. So, um, obviously, the whole point of this was to kind of track, um, you know, people's early lives and to try and give this a bit more of an oral historical feel um, rather than kind of just talking to pieces about, you know, uh, their sort of the current state of their career. Um, so, um, where did you grow up? So I've always been a Newbury girl. I have lived in Berkshire all my life. Um, I did have a break uh, in my early teens, going to London, staying there uh, permanently sometimes. Um, but I lived in Newbury all my life, and most of my family live here as well. Okay, that's cool. So you, I mean, you haven't been separated too badly from them because they're. Uh... Like, my family all over now, I'm nowhere near most of them anymore. Um, you, um, so, you, you like, you went to school in Newbury. It was a quest, I, so, I, I'll be honest, I've never been to Newbury. Like, it, it reasonably small, or is it... I, for some reason, I kind of think of it almost the same way I think of Reading, but I don't think that's right, is it? No. So, Reading, we class as a big town. We can't class it as a city, because it hasn't got a cathedral yet, it hasn't been classed as a city. It's always classed as the big town next door. So it was Newbury, which is technically a small town. Um, it's more historical than anything else with Newbury. Um, and it's a lot of like farmland. Uh, we've got a farmer's market here. Um, but mainly it's just very like Victorian buildings. Uh, we had a guy called Jack of Newbury who has his statue. It was a very uh, well-respected man back in whenever um so yeah it's a very like historical tight community no. um of course you've got like the chavs and stuff like that and uh from here we kind of call it the posh chavs it isn't like you know hey bruv what's up it's kind of like yo how are you doing like <laughs> it's very like yeah, it's not like a London chub or an up north chub. It's a very like posh chub, and that's what makes us very much different compared to other places in the UK. I kind of feel you on that actually, because Exeter used to be like I I didn't grow up in Exeter, but it kind of has the same feel to it. Like all the kids who kind of bless them really want to be working class. Um, it just it, it it they haven't they haven't clicked you they you kind of like they're giving you like <laughs> that working class accent and everything you like I, I know you went to private school like I, I saw you on the gates like you used to walk past and there you were and you had your really expensive jacket and like you know the, the rugby kit that cost probably more than most of my possessions like <laughs> um so yeah I kind of feel you on that one there's like posh chows are definitely a thing and I kind of miss them actually sometimes they were they were good for fun if nothing else <laughs> I see them on a daily occurrence, so I don't really miss them that much. <laughs> I'm in Plymouth now. We don't have that anymore. Like, Plymouth has deprived areas, so, like, 
actually I'm near enough piercing in one of them it's like a two minute walk from one of them um uh so yeah I, I yeah I, I I kind of like we actually have proper working class people again now which is actually quite nice to be honest um so um you, did you go to school in Newbury or did you um like did you have to go further afield for that is it that small or so I went to school in Newbury. Um, my mum has this obsession with if she doesn't settle somewhere, she has to move. And we found out in our family history, we have got gypsy relations. Um, my great great granddad, I think, he was part of the Fairground Boys, which were in London, and they were classed as the gypsy community. And then he married my great grandma. So we figured out that because our family liked moving a lot, it must be in us to do that due to the gypsy like bloodline. Um, so in Newbury alone, we moved a lot <laughs> to <laughs> different areas in Newbury. Um, so I went to like, let me think now, like four, four separate primary schools and oh, wow. one secondary school. Um, I wasn't a very much of, uh, of well educated because I went to what they call a state school. Um, and I didn't really do well in school just because I was bullied a lot. Uh, this is due to my personality, my weight, how I looked, I was very different compared to the other kids. Um, and I came out as openly bisexual in secondary school as well. So that caused a lot of um, bullying, I would say, um, until about year nine. And then that's when I found my love into the whole body modification, tattooing, piercing, BME days, you know, like yeah. all of that. <laughs> and that's when it started off. And I was about, oh God, like, 30, like 12 or 13 at the time. Um, my dad's covered in tattoos. I always looked at him and was like, oh, I want that done. I want to have tattoos. And then my mum has her nose done. And I was like, oh, I want piercings. I want to do piercings. And I always had fascination with that. And back then, the internet was kind of like popular, sort of, but it was still very slow. Mm. <laughs> You'd have to wait like an hour for anything to load and stuff like that. So, I going on to Facebook and seeing people having piercings and stuff like that, and I was just like, yeah, I really want that. I want to do that. You know, that that's that's what I want to do. So. 13 year old me for watching a YouTube video, I was a piercer, so I could do it. And I don't recommend anyone doing this, okay, just to be clear. <laughs> but I used to pierce myself at home. Um, I did my snake bites, which are double uh, lip piercings. How did they come out? I'm sorry, I feel like I've got to quickly pause. Yeah, it's okay, yeah. My kids screaming, right? Cool, so we're back. Um, I love that you mentioned BME. Do you remember how you found BME? Because I was trying to think about this the other day and I don't remember how I found BME and it was the most important part of my teenage years. Like... Uh, 
so I actually got introduced by it by uh, uh, my dad's friend's son. He was very goth. Uh, he was very into that as well. And she showed me like pictures of suspension, uh, large gauge piercings and stuff like that. And I was like, whoa, what is this? You know, I, I want to know about this. I want to see more of this. And then that's when he showed me BME and just went from there. Literally, it just, it blew my mind and I was hooked. And I was like, yeah, I, I understand it now. I want to do this. I want to be in this area as a profession. And I wrote it down in my school yearbook as well that I want to be a body piercer. Oh, cool. I yeah I didn't I did much the same thing um actually like I did I really thought I was going to be a piercer when I was a teenager and then I abandoned it in my early 20s I was just like no, I'm going to be a piercer it's really ridiculous and I got back to it later which I'm really thrilled <laughs> about but yeah I'm like I think I think I imagine if this kind of if this podcast does turn into a series BME is going to come up a lot because granted like I look back now and like if I found my kids like my eldest kid's 14 if I found them looking at some of the things I was looking at on BME when I was 14 I think I'd probably take away their internet <laughs> but um, like, <laughs> yeah. um but yeah it was so so important um for anyone who's kind of not familiar with BME it was um body modification easing it was started in it was 1994 right it was a really long somewhere there yeah yeah um, and I'm sure I read something once where Shannon was claiming um, that at one point in its formative years, it was like one of the biggest websites on the internet. Granted, because that was because there were no other websites on the internet. But um, yeah, so BME stood for Body Modification Easy In, and it was a really important international um, hub for body modification enthusiasts of all kinds uh, to kind of come together and share what they um, what they did. Um, were you on IM or? Were you on I Am? Oh, sorry. Uh, sorry. Uh, yes. You were. I never got it. Like, I never summoned up the courage. It was kind of dead by the time I was, like, 16, 17, and I never got onto it when I was, like, 14, so... Um, yeah, I never got introduced yeah, I think to I it. found most of it through the, like, the big uh, social media platforms back then would be, like, MySpace and Bebo and MSN... <laughs> and stuff like that and there were a lot of Bebo pages that were dedicated to BME and stuff like that and I was like whoa what the hell you know this is so cool I want to be part of this and I would literally like message so many people that were like posting pictures on there and suspension and stuff like that and I made a few amazing friends who to this day I'm still good friends with which is crazy. It just blows my mind. So, um, so, so do you mind me asking, like, how, um, how, I know you're in your 20s, right? But I don't actually know how old you are. Yeah. <laughs> it's a mystery. <laughs> yeah, okay, all right, cool. No, I won't do that. Um, <laughs> so, like, uh, I'm 25. You're 25, all right, cool. <laughs> so, like, 14, 15, that's like, like 2010. Okay, right, so, like, yeah, I was, I was like, I was like on BME kind of like 2004 onwards. Um, was, was Shannon still running it when you got involved, like got involved with it or? Um, 
he well i don't know what pronouns they used oh sorry so I'll say they them um because i i don't know because lots of people say he lots of people say they them so i'll keep it the they them um they were popping on and off okay. sometimes they would post something sometimes they won't um that'd be great like uh little bubbles i called it of where people would give advice and stuff like that and they would chime in and give advice um but i didn't really see much of them fair um sorry choked on drink there for a second <laughs> just stumbled over that a bit um okay cool so um was this around about the time that you because you, you started piercing pretty young right I started piercing at the sweet age of 14, which is technically not illegal, but technically is illegal. So it's kind of confusing because back then, uh, tattooing wasn't regulated and it's still to this day in most counties isn't regulated. Definitely in Newbury, it isn't regulated. And I was 14 and there was a studio offering like a, it was like an apprenticeship but it was kind of like you'd have to pay for that apprenticeship. It wasn't the case that I was getting paid to do the apprenticeship. I had to pay for that apprenticeship. And it was uh, £250 for six weeks. Um, and then by the six weeks, that's when I had to start like actually piercing. Um, and then that's when it would be the case that I would split it with the person who was teaching me. Um, so I was there from... 14 until about 17 I think um I was doing great I loved it and everything and then that's when they shut down so I had to leave and then that's when I became really close with a lady called Jasmine uh she <laughs> might listen to this podcast um she uh trained me to pierce so that was like i don't class my first apprenticeship as a proper apprenticeship because i paid for it i class it as more like a course whereas the next apprenticeship i class it as my apprenticeship i just turned 18 i was in college and jasmine was a person who was training me she she's very punk she's very oi um and we got along very very well i think i was there for about six seven months um which is a lot of time to get the basics in and stuff like that so i kind of knew how to use cannulas externally threaded um got introduced to quality uh jewelry um as you know because yeah. i spoke to you about this yeah, as yeah. being the first technically the first studio in the uk to actually uh, get their jewellery and promote it um, before the whole selling on situation. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I really enjoyed it. I loved working there. Uh, the studio was called Cutthroat Tattoo. Uh, very cliche. Um, and it was a well respected studio in Newbury. And they have a lot of clientele. I would work. Uh, if I had days off from college, I would work there, but usually it was every Saturday. It, that was my day to go in, do shadowing, and if any basic piercings like ear piercings, navels, noses, I'd do them. Um, it's really weird because my first ever 
uh, proper piercing doing there was a tongue web. Oh, and okay. I was like, oh, <laughs> the most difficult piercing <laughs> to do. And I was like shaking. I was like, oh my God, how am I going to do this? And bless her soul, Annie Lawrence, um, she sat there like a champ and she still got it to this day. So it's like <laughs> uh, about oh, six, seven years old and she still got it to this day. So it was pretty awesome pretty like, well seeing my work that old and still in place and it's on like in the proper spot and everything. And I'm like, that's like my first like licensed professional piercing. Like it was crazy. Um, so they closed down due to the owner being a cock um, and he basically didn't want to keep me on uh, due to my body image. He was very uh, homophobic, uh, he was very sexist and he didn't like uh, chunky people working there unfortunately and with Jasmine moving to London of course I couldn't really start piercing after just a couple of months. So I took the decision of taking that as it is, and I left. I uh, had about four-ish months break, and then that's when I got offered a placement uh, at university. At the same time, I got offered a trainee piercing job in London. Okay. So I was like... Oh bugger, you know, nineteen. I've got to try and figure out do do I do my first choice at university, which was a Newcastle University, doing computer science because I'm technically a nerd. <laughs> or do I pack my bags and go to London? And I remember having the conversation with my mum. I sat down, I was in tears. <laughs> like fresh college like 19 didn't know what I wanted to do and she kind of just looked at me and said Dee you've been obsessed with piercings since you were 12 13 years old you wrote in your school book saying you wanted to do it you even wrote in your college interview pack uh, that I wanted to do it as a career um, it was my first choice and she was like if you want to do it you've got a full support go and do it so Went to London, uh, was there for about a year and a half. That's when that studio closed up. Uh, they got offered a better chance somewhere else, so they quit. Uh, at this studio, it was very like anatomical, industrial strength, stuff like that. And I was like, ooh, okay. Ooh. I've never worked with brands like these before. Definitely brands that are very Americanized and I was like, my eyes were wide open. I was like ready for this. I was like, yeah, I could do it, I could do it. But the thing is, with working there, I was only allowed to shadow. I could do certain piercings as long as the piercer was there to see how I was doing and stuff like that. But it's mainly shadowing, doing first aid, CPR, that kind of stuff. So I was like, okay, this is new. I never did this at a previous apprenticeship. So I technically cast that as like my second apprenticeship so I've done a lot of training in my early teen years than mm. actually piercing so when they closed up I was like right 
Move back home. I'm going back to Newbury. I don't want to live in London. London isn't my scene. It's too busy, too hectic, too loud. So I was like, right, go back to Newbury. Came back to Newbury. And a guy who used to work at Cutthroat Tattoo, he opened up his own studio called Classic Markings. And that's when the stepping stone came in of how my piercing career really took off. Um, there, I was able to rebuild my clientele. A lot of people knew me previously from Cutthroat Tattoo. And I just kept building and building and building. <laughs> And then I was like two and a half years in. And then that's when Lou appeared. (laughs) My miracle baby. Um, And (laughs) what blessing that's been. So, of course, I had like eight months off. And my apprentice there took over my position. So she took over my position. So I was like, well, I can't go back to classic markings because they've got a full-time piercer there. I can't just waltz in there and be like, hey, I want my job back. So I was scouting about seeing who needed a piercer. And that's when Freak Show Tattoo, they were, they just had a piercer left. Her name's Nicole. Um, She's a lovely girl. She works at Urban Piercings, which is located in Reading. Um, she's doing great. She's improved so much over the years and she's one of the pieces that I really do look up to that are close to me. Um, her work is very clean, very crisp, very like, very like, you know, ah. <laughs> and when she left uh, Freak Show, I was devastated. I was like, oh, it's going, you know, she's doing so well. And then she said that she was getting a job at Urban. And I was like, hell yeah, that's like a big stepping stone for you because Urban have a really big uh, reputation for their name because they've been open since the 90s, the early 90s. Okay. So they've been around for a very long time. So I was like, okay, fair play. So I messaged the manager and I was like, hey, look, there's a long shot. For a and she was like, hey, yeah, come on in. Went in, did a trial day, and I was there for almost three years. I built that studio from rock bottom. Um, the piercing side and the jewellery side, um, I introduced them to internally threaded, I introduced them to threaders, I introduced them to the brands, multiple manufacturers, um, and I always said to myself at the back of my head, I was like, this is just a stepping stone for me. I don't want to be here permanently. I don't want to be here for like about 10 years. I want to, you know, expand. And I said that to the manager. I was like, look, I just want this to be a place where I put my feet in for a little while, get where I want to get to, and then I want to move on because I've got other plans. And she was very understandable about that. And she knew where I was coming from. So I was there for a couple of months and that's when I kind of put a rope around Lauren and pulled her in. <laughs> I was like, you're going to come and work here with me. So she came and worked at Freak Show so I could do less hours to uh, concentrate on building my relationship with Lou. Um, and, you know, a mother and a daughter's bond has to be strong. And I was like, yeah, I want that. I don't really want to be very focused, work and stuff like that. So Lauren came in, she took over, 
she was full-time, I was part-time, I was happy about that. And then it got to the point where it was that time to kind of just step back, leave and go my own route. And I looked back at the uh, at my school uh, breakdown report and it said in there, like it said on the first page, hi, my name's Deanna. When I'm old, I want to be a body piercer. I want my studio to be called Pearl Collective. So oh, from really? the age of 13, I already knew what my studio was going to be called. And when I opened that book, I started crying and I was like, oh my God, this is a sign. This is where I want to go. So I spoke to my mum, because you know, when you're in a situation, you're 25, you're a single parent, you're like, who do I turn to that could give me a slap in the face and the correct information and advice that I need? So I was like, right, I'm going to go to my mum. <laughs> she was like, hey, if you want to do it, like last time with like the whole London situation, you're doing your apprenticeships, going from studio to studio. If you want to do it, you've got to support. So that's when I met Steph, who is the manager of Headcase Tattoos. Oh, Headcase Barbers, sorry. <laughs> um, and I think I'd make that mistake she... constantly too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, she, yeah, she's the manager of Headcase Barbers. She is the most amazing person I've ever met in my life. Like, she is so dumb. Uh, she's a great, like, manager business owner she she was helping me understand how it is to run a business she was helping me understand taxes she was helping me be the best of what i could be as a business owner and she made me realize that i don't need to work full time i don't need to be in seven days a week i could do my own hours i could do my own days and yeah, she's just been fantastic. Even during this lockdown, she messages everybody who works there. She asks us how we are. She asks how we're doing. She's just great. She's a great, great person. And I, I even told this in person. And she, she'll probably listen to this because she'll be like, oh, my God, my God, Dee's done, done an interview. I need to, like, you know, <laughs> listen to that. And I'm going to say it here, like, Steph, if you're listening to this, thank you so much for letting me come into work in your shop like it's been the most eye-opening experience ever it has been a bit dramatic it has been very stressful <laughs> but our team is the greatest by far by far and i ain't going anywhere for the time being <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna stay there i'm gonna you know, I ha I am fixated on like opening my own shop and stuff like that. But you know, being somebody who's twenty five and has a really really shite credit score, yeah, because they thought at eighteen it was a good idea to get two contract phones, two loans, and a bank loan and all this shit. And now it's kind of like hit me and it's bit my ass. And now I'm like, oh fuck, I need to pay all that back now. And now I've got credit score. I can't really like go out and be like, yeah, I want to rent that unit because I have no credit reference. I have no other things can back me up. So I know that even though I'm 
with head case barbers and I work inside their shop, it's great, but I can't see it being like a full permanent place to stay forever. I do want to get my own place with the big letters on the front saying Pearl Collective <laughs> and it be my own. And that's where I am today. Yeah. I'm sure you'll get there, dude. Like, more than anyone else, I think you deserve it. Like, I kind of much the same. Like, I, when I... I can't actually imagine leaving Talisman now, if I'm honest. Like, I don't know if they'll listen to it. I don't actually imagine they will. Um, but uh, when I approached Talisman, I was kind of like, you know what, this is going to be a stepping stone for me. And then, you know, three to five years, I want to open my own place um, and pierce out of it. And now, I think, honestly, like, yeah, three to five years, I might open my own place. But I think I would probably take an apprentice, train that apprentice to where they could run a studio and then put them in my new place. Because I, yeah, I, I really love Talisman. Like, it's a really nice place to be. And it's so nice <laughs> when you find... Put them in the deep end first. Yeah. Let them fuck up first. <laughs> and you sweep in and clean it all up. Well, I'll just do it in a different city and then I can call it a guest spot. Like... <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Um, there were like a couple of things there that I wanted to rewind to, if that's all right. Um, where, what, so yeah, that's cool. what year was it you went to to London? Because I'm just I'm thinking like if they were stocking like IS and a NATO and stuff like that back then, they must have really been trailblazing because it's really only been what like I mean it's certainly a lot less than ten years that it's been in the almost the UK really. Like I don't I can't think of any piercers other than the kind of big names that were stocking it even, I think maybe 10 years ago, right? Like, I don't want to start name dropping because I just, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to name them without their permission. But like, I think like yeah. everyone's going to know who I'm referring to when I'm, uh, when I'm saying this. But like, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah even, the, even the big people who are really heavily involved with, you know, the, those brands now, it's not been that long that they've been they've been doing it. So yeah, but sorry, when my, my original question was, um, when when was it that they the, the studio was stocking those brands? Jesus, so I've got to try and do some maths now. I'm like, shit, oh. when was I born? <laughs> <laughs> How old am I now? Um, so I think it was around, it must have been like between 2015 and 2017, I would say roughly around that time, um, which is the time when you would go onto uh, Google and you would see like very, very overfiltered and very, very edited pictures of just a princess cup gem or a titanium flower from a metal <laughs> or one of the um, first ever prongs from uh, 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 industrial strength. So. Yeah, I th it must have been around then because I do remember uh, seeing a lot of it. And I was like, you know, what's going on, you know? It wasn't a lot, though. I will say that it wasn't a lot. It was like a very small collection and it was very minimal. It wasn't like bizarre. And it wasn't wow. It was very like clear CZ and it was just basic stuff. Yeah. And it would be like a white opal but it isn't like a white opal compared to how it is these days like it was very like i call it glittery okay. white opal because they were still like trying to figure it out um but yeah it was very like 
you know, just clear CZ. That was all it was. Princess cuts, prongs, uh, five stone clusters, um, single bezels, uh, BCRs, but just plain BCRs. It wasn't ones with like little crystals in them or anything yeah. like that. No, like clipping beans. Um, or... That was it, really. You know, as a side note, I still don't use those. Like, I still don't use clipping like bezels. I just get the screwed ones so that I can switch back and forth. Like, I just... Um, anyway, yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, it's, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's pretty, like, trailblazing then to be have been using it back then. Did you get to play with it at the time? Or, like, did they let you pierce with it? Or did that go to... No. <laughs> I was very much had to like look at it, polish it, put it back in the cabinet. But it wasn't like a proper like stand up cabinet. It was like a a desk cabinet, but it's like very oh, very okay. old school. Like yeah, um, it had like a a keyhole on the top, and you'd lift it upwards instead of having like a side door. Okay. Um, and yeah, I would have to like polish it. Uh, put back in the display cabinet. Um, yeah, and it wasn't very much like easy to sell back then as well because you've got to think about how piercings have gone up in price. So back then it was like 10, 15 pound a pop, you know, just the basic okay. piercing. And then that jewelry would be like 30, 50, 60, you know? So okay. a lot of people would be looking at that like, hmm. That's a bit expensive. I don't really want that. So it was, it was, it was hard. Like the piercer who was training me did struggle, but they did get there in the end. Um, there's a few gold pieces as well that were there. I can't remember who manufactured them. Um, I wasn't allowed to touch them because they were very expensive. Uh, only the head piercer was allowed to touch them. Um, but yeah, there, there was like a few like gold barbells, um, gold BCRs, gold seam rings. Uh, there was this one attachment that was just, uh, an overall and it was like a, like a red stone. Uh, I remember always looking at that like every other Sunday when I was in there and I was like, oh, I really want that. I really want that. But I never did it. I wish I did now. But it just never happened. <laughs> well, you can always just, just ask me, just ask BBLA to make it for you. If you've got the image in yeah, your mind. Yeah, I could do. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, your progression is just like, this wasn't, I think, I don't know how many other pieces kind of like me who like, I, I didn't even know brands like this existed until I went to someone else's studio to learn I asked them to show me something and they were kind enough to say yes and I walked in and there was just like you say those like glass topped desk um, and like I was blown away because at that point I had it, I had like little titanium unverified balls in like two or three different sizes and I thought that that was and when people came in and went like can you put a gem on it I was like no <laughs> Um, so like I'd never seen that much jewelry before and I'd never like I'd never even imagined that that could exist um, but then there's a lot of other pieces right who kind of probably were introduced to a lot of these things on uh, you know through Instagram or or, or whatever um, so I mean were you aware of those kind of uh, like standards of because I know like 
<laughs> it's it's really pretty, but obviously the most important thing to emphasize is that it's also safe, which is you know a big big yeah. difference to what came before. Um, and like I don't when I first opened, like I kind I talked more about the safety, and people would kind of be like, like clients would be like, dude, just shut up, it's pretty. Um, um, so yeah, and were you aware of those kind of safety standards um, of like different grades of titanium and gold and stuff before you went to that studio, or was that the first time you'd encountered that kind of person? So when I went to London, that I, I vaguely knew about industrial strength due to BME, um, because you know there were a lot of pieces who did rave and rant about it, definitely because they were the most popular uh, manufacturer to get large gauge jewellery from. So I kind of had an idea of who industrial strength were, and I kind of had an idea of who anatomists were. Um, but when I was in London, I was like, wait, hang on, titanium? What? You know, <laughs> that's kind of like the mentality I had because yeah. I always knew stainless steel or surgical steel, PVD, uh, PTFE, acrylic, that was like what I was like trained. And then when I went to London, it was kind of like, you know, some pieces were internally threaded, some pieces were externally threaded. And of course the externally threaded came from wholesale. Okay. Um, but I didn't know anything about titanium. I was like, what? What the hell is this? What is this witchery? I was just like, what is titanium? And I remember sitting down with this piercer and they explained it all to me. And I forgot it all. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what about things like practices? Like, um, I mean, like, for me, again, I don't talk about it much to clients anymore. It used to be a really big part of, I used to say aseptic a lot when I was talking to clients. Um, and then one of them left me a review where they spaced out A and septic. So it said that I was a septic piercer and I never talked about asepsis again in front of clients. <laughs> I was just like, no, I'm not doing that anymore. Um, but what about like concepts like, like that? Was that um, something you were encountering around about like 2015, 2017? Or is that, did that come later? That never came into uh, my line of career. So... Uh, standards were kind of like uh, you mark up, well you wipe down with the alco like alco wipe. You mark up with either a uh, like a liquid uh, biro, right? Okay. <laughs> or um, a blue pen. It was never right. like gentian violet or anything like that. It was a blue pen, um, and that's what I would use. There was no secondary prep or anything like that. Um, the London studio, I learned freehand, so no tools, anything okay. like that, because they didn't really have anything to process it again, to use it again. So everything was either, if you used a clamp, you chucked it away. Like, don't matter okay. if it's a plastic disposable clamp or a metal clamp, you chucked it away because they couldn't reprocess that. Okay. Um, jewelry was autoclaved in uh, heat sealed pouches that you would have to cut with scissors, which you still oh, okay. might absolute head in. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that was it, really. It wasn't like the most like 
you know, as standards are today, but it was still very clean and it smelt like Dettol. So I knew that it was <laughs> fine. <laughs> I love that smell. Like, I really love that smell. I don't think any piercer doesn't love that smell. Um, except for, I don't know. No, I, I don't doubt that any piercer loves that smell. Like, I would very happily just, like, dunk that and, like, just hang it in my car. Or um, sometimes I clean my studio floor with something more effective and then go over it with Dettol just so I can smell it. Like, wait for it to dry, wait for it to do its thing, and then just go over it with Dettol. So I'm like... And people walk in and go, like, that smells clean. I'm like, yeah, it's actually not the Dettol that's, I think, made it as clean as it actually is, but I really like the smell, so... <laughs> uh so like when you um in that in that you, you kind of probably so you didn't encounter those kind of standards like whether they be app or uk app minimum standards until you were like freak show or so i was first introduced to the app when i was at classic markings okay um that was because i became close with uh a few piercers that are already in the piercer group so like i knew what it was and I knew what standards it was so I was slowly trying to like introduce it as slowly as I could because I knew that the drastic changes some clients do get a bit ah! so <laughs> I was very careful at how I uh, changed things so I <laughs> when I first started at classic markets I kind of knew like hey yeah I needed titanium jewelry and I just went with externally threaded because that's new that's how I knew what to work with and I would work with uh, blades or cannulas um, so I was like right okay that's that's all and then that's when quality started to become a big and this is back in like 2016. Yeah. So before I had Lou in 2017. Um, so yeah, so quality started to become big and everyone was like, oh my God, look at these pink opals. Oh my God, look at these stones. Oh my God, look at these prototype flowers. <laughs> the prototype flowers. I'm sure a lot of people listening to, to this know <laughs> what I'm on about. Those flowers that were glued in and I fall off as a clump. They were the biggest sale ever for me, but they were a pain in the ass. <laughs> and yeah, I just a lot of their stuff in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got a lot of their stuff in, and I was like, yeah, it's gonna sell. I'm gonna do great. I'm gonna do this. I sold a lot of it. Like I'm, you know, yeah. It's just, a lot of people are like, yeah, it's a stepping stone. It's great. And then that's when I noticed that wholesale. Even though it was the 0.8 threading instead of the 0.9 threading, I was like, well, hang on a minute. They're also selling like stuff that quality of selling, not like exactly the same, but very similar. And then that's when they started slowly introducing their 0.9 threading stuff, which was just the basic flowers that looks very identical to Neo Metal. Um, and other stuff. And I was like, well, heck. I do a wholesale order weekly, so I could probably get a few attachments from them as well. And then I started noticing that a lot of people buying more of the wholesale stuff than they were of the quality stuff. So I was like, well, I can still have two here. I can still sell both of them. And then I remembered setting up 
my anatomical account. And this is before uh, I knew that anatomical was in the UK. Well, I don't even think they were in the UK by then. Um, I had to go via this email, wait like three weeks for reply, send over a picture of a piercing license. And then you'd get this massive uh, like document and it would take like an hour and a half to download. And it was just all words. <laughs> there were no pictures or anything like that. It was just words. And there was like some slight coding as well. And it would say sizes in uh, American sizes. So you would have to try and convert it to millimeters which used to be a pain in the ass. I would absolutely hate it. But now I know it off the back of my head because it's there. Um, and then industrial strength, same with them. Like it would be catalogs, it would be summer and the winter catalogs. And I would learn all the coding for them if I ever wanted to do an order. I never did an order with industrial strength. I did an order with an metal. I remember when it first came, it was only like five pieces and I was so like chuffed by it. I was like, yeah, I'm stuck in an hour, this is so cool. <laughs> it was like three CZ prongs and two princess cut uh, attachments and I sold them all. Like, I sold them all in like the first two weeks and I was like, heck yeah, I could do this. And yeah, that, that was like the first time that I was like properly introduced to that area and then that's when I started researching more about the APP and I was like whoa this organization is amazing you know they're, they're trying to do higher standards and do better things for not just peers but for clients and environment and stuff like that and I was like oh, I really want to be a member so that's when I downloaded the requirement sheet and I started like going down the list and I was crossing out every single one because I knew I could never meet those requirements because I was in a box room with an enclave in the corner and a chair. I didn't have anything else than that. <laughs> so I was like, well, I was out the window. I could never do that. Um, so I kind of just took it as it was and I was like, yeah, whatever. And then with the Pearson group where it started growing, kind of started learning more and then that's when I started a freak show uh I was like right I want the studio to be APP standard I want the memberships I want to do it I want to do it I want to do it and you know got the jewelry criteria top notch got all the aftercare the insurances autoclave like uh dated signs whatnot fine perfect the only thing that let us down was the building it's such a, a backwards building and i remember sending like multiple videos to different members who you know could give me critiques on how i could change things and it was just the layout of the studio so so much hassle so much work and i kind of just gave up like after about a year i was like ain't gonna work it's, ne it's never gonna work it's not gonna it's not gonna pass you know and i i even said that to both like all of them i was like you're never gonna be a member because of the studio how it's laid out and now i'm on my own 
um and i've spoken to you about it i've spoken yeah. to the other guys about it um you know and it is definitely somewhere that i want to go like i would love to become a member just to chime in a little bit and you know have my opinions heard and have my thoughts heard and you know be on the list that you know my environment is safe and i am practicing safe piercing um but i know that it's it's a lot of work, so yeah. I need to get a lot of work done first. <laughs> then I can try and get there. You can get there. Oh, no, fair enough. Like, I mean, so, um, I mean, I've, I've been a UK Pyramid member for all of about three weeks. Um, and um, next is to do APP, but it has been like near enough two years of like really slogging at it and I was really really lucky with Talisman because my room before I got to Talisman was um was a storeroom for not even our studio but the vape shop in front of our studio um and um they turned that room around and bless them like uh, Robert and Meg who own our studio would be the first people to tell you that they don't really understand why it matters to me so much but nonetheless they took on everything you know they took on board and like when I said hey can I have a sink in that corner and have a boiler and all these kind of things they were just like yeah okay cool that's fine you know like you know you've got an uphill battle here you're really gonna have to show us that this is worth doing but you know we'll do it for you um so like I have had a lot of help in getting there but I do think it's like I think it's achievable for a lot more people than probably probably think you know, I think a lot of piercers in the UK, especially, probably are working at UK APP and APP standards. They just don't really realise it. Um, but I'm yet to kind of have that experience with the with the APP. I don't know. Um, yeah, I will we'll see how how that particular application goes. I don't know how that's gonna. Because my big thing is like my my jewellery cabinet is in my room, um, and I wasn't sure that that was gonna pass. I really wasn't sure. Um, and I've had a positive reception from um, UK APP, but um uh when i raised it very briefly with the app i've got a very much like a i don't know we'll see we just put your application in and then we'll, we'll find out yeah um so like yeah we'll, we'll see how that goes but i think you know i think it's very much achievable for and of course i think the important thing to remember as well is just that these are really worthwhile organizations i think in the uk uk app more than app um but like it doesn't mean that you're not a safe piercer because you're not a member, you know, like it's not a, 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 like we all know you're a safe piercer. Like I wouldn't have a moment's hesitation of sending someone to your studio. And frankly, you like you exist in that really wonderful, like black spot where someone kind of goes like, um, you know, I, I'm kind of east of Bristol, but west of London. And I'm like, D, you should go see D. <laughs> like, um, like I never really think of anyone else in that area. Um, um so obviously like you have been unbelievably helpful to everyone when it comes to COVID-19 um and all of the grants and pieces of legislation which have followed and the standards that we've got to meet now um you mentioned earlier that you had like you say you had some kind of legal training or did you did you do it at college or like what I mean, sound patronising. I hate it when people say like, "Oh, you do history? Did you do it at college?" So I, I hate it when people say that. But like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
so a few years ago, I was kind of just, you know, I became very ill uh, to the point that I was in hospital. Um, I decided to get tattooed quite a lot and it affected my immune system. Okay. And it got to the point where I was in hospital, I was on IV drip, I was having bloods taken and my immune system just was just plummeting. Uh, thankfully, after about two and a half weeks, I recovered and I'm full back, like I'm in a healthy way. There has been some issues, but they're always resolved. Um, and that time I kind of thought to myself, heck, if I can't get back into piercing, what else could I do? And I kind of remembered how much I enjoyed studying law and politics uh, at secondary school. Um, I took two of those classes uh, in the evenings and I really enjoyed law. Um, I used to study more so, not so much like criminal law, but it'd be like, um, uh, like fraud stuff like that or it would be um wealth health that kind of stuff and i kind of thought heck why don't i get back into that and then that's when i really sat down and i started like uh taking like courses online and i actually did a open university on uh politis politics politicians yeah. and i also did a short course on uh, law, police law, and uh, governance law. So governance law being it like councils and stuff like that. So I was like, heck yeah, let's do that. So for like two weeks while I was in hospital, I was like doing different like online uh, courses, video calls with different people. I had like, well, they're not really friends now, but I had two good friends back then who were uh, doing law at universities, so I kind of already knew that I had somebody that I could turn to, like if I wanted to learn more. And then from there, I kind of just became this like sort of nerd when it comes to politics. And I actually sit down in my evenings and I watch Parliament live, even if it isn't like a big thing that's going on like if it's department of work if it's transport if it's like uh just small matters like with education it's not really a big thing it isn't spoken about in parliament that much but i watch that as well like i watch all of it in my spare time i would sit down in front of my tv and i just watch parliament live and that's because it's one of the things that i do enjoy and it's one of my great pleasures luckily because i've done that i can understand boris so i've actually <laughs> translated him to a lot of people you are not paid enough there's no one in the country who can do that that's like <laughs> you'd be the only one in the world who speaks boris <laughs> i literally write down his speeches uh while he's talking i write down what he's saying but i write it down as me saying it Okay. So then it makes sense. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I actually really like to read those. That would be hilarious. <laughs> I think I've got a few somewhere. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like I say, I don't, I don't think anyone can really, like, you, you've done a lot, and I, I don't want to 
sort of pretend like I speak for anyone but myself. But yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of Pacers who probably would have shut down this year had it not been for the fact that you were constantly coaching everyone through um, what on earth was going on because I didn't understand it and I didn't really have to say I was kind of willfully ignorant to it as well. I kind of like, I looked at the regulations that came out and I was kind of like, I was already doing all of those things apart from the visor. So like, this isn't really a huge issue for me. Um, but yeah, it was a big subject. And then like, how did you find it coming, if you don't like, yeah, if, if you don't mind answering this question, um, how did you find it coming out of lockdown and back into piercing? Did you find that you were super busy? Did you find that you were uh, kind of, yeah, well, yeah, how was it? So coming out of the first lockdown, I was at Freak Show Tattoos. Um, okay. And, you know, trying to justify what's going on and trying to tell a three-year-old that, unfortunately, they can't see their grandmother, they can't see their auntie and stuff like that throughout lockdown. And also they couldn't see their childminder and then coming out of lockdown and then they can start seeing them. So it was the case that I had to try and get Lou comfortable with going back to childminders because she is a very shy girl. And mm. I think a lot of piercers uh, know this when they video call me and she comes to see who it is and she goes all shy. No. Um, she's just a very, very shy girl. Yeah. So trying to get her back into the routine and trying to like reintroduce her to Paula, who is my childminder. She's been with her for like two years and it was the most hardest like three weeks for the first three weeks. It was like the hardest thing to try and do. So I was more concentrating on that than booking people in. So I knew anyway that they had Lauren at Freak Show, so I knew that she'd be working anyway. So I wasn't really worried in that area. And then I think it was like, because we returned like July? Was it July? Yeah, July. I think it was July. I think it was July 13th. I went back on July 14th. Yeah, because then I left Freak Show in August. Okay. And then I had like a month to set up at Headcase. Right. Because I knew that there was a payment and stuff. There was payment. And I was like, oh, I can use that in September. So I had like a month to get everything that I needed. So, and then I was only working for what, three weeks? And then we went into November lockdown. So, it was honestly the most like 2020 was like the hardest year for me financially yeah. like trying to get back up but coming out of that first lockdown i wasn't worried like i was more worried about loop i wasn't worried about work and then when i left freak show that's when it kind of hit me and i was like shit <laughs> i need to find somewhere to work and then of course steph came in from barbers and i was like oh yeah let's go there and then I was kind of like thinking like, oh shit, do, do I use my universal credit money that I've got left over or do I wait for that self-employment grant to come in September? So I kind of like budget it out, uh, the August payment and then a September payment of my universal credit so that I could get some basics in, some needles in, some PPE and that. And then when I got my September uh, self-employment grant that's when I 
paid for the um, paid for everything else that I needed. And yeah, I was working for like I think I opened at the end of September, beginning of October. So yeah, about three, four weeks I was working for, so like a solid month. And then we went straight back into uh, a lockdown yeah. in November. And then <laughs> we reopened in December and I only worked two weeks because my childminder was going on an early Christmas break. Oh, mate. Well, it's not, really, it's not really early. It's like her usual time. Yeah. But of course, with COVID this year and stuff like that, she was like, right, I'm actually going to do it a little bit early this year, well, last year. And I was working for about two and a half weeks. And then that's when tier four rolled in. And I was like, shit, I ain't going to be able to return back to work now. And a national lockdown was announced. And I was like, so I've worked like probably about two months. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's not going to carry you far. Yeah. I mean, I, I've not worked for, I mean, it would be, I think, four I haven't really counted because I think if I counted, I'd probably be really sad. <laughs> um, yeah, but that, I mean, you've kind of got half the time that even the rest of us have, which must have been really tricky. But I mean, like, to be still here is really impressive. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> I think there's a lot of more well, established studios that haven't made it through the year. So. <laughs> I think it's mainly the fact that I I was lucky that I still had the job at Freak Show yeah. at the beginning of 2020 throughout the lockdown and then a couple of weeks after that lockdown. So I was kind of lucky then. But then starting up my own business and then just having like a solid like about a month and a half of work. And that's it for the rest of 2020. And yeah. then I was kind of like, you know, a lot of piercers have seen. I've sold, like, most of my stock. Yeah. Because I can't afford anything at the moment. Because, you know, universal credit doesn't go far. And the self-employment grant doesn't go far. No. And I was like, well, how can I make money quick? And, of course, a lot of piercers are like, hey, you know, in the Pearson UK group, there is a fund that people can request money from if they need it. It's like an emergency yeah. that Liam, Andrew, and Charlie set up. A lot of people are like, hey, why don't you do that? I am such a work-focused lady. I've been working since I was like 13, 14. I've always made money by doing it myself. So going to somebody else with nothing to give and take money off them, it makes me feel guilty. So I was like, well, the only way that I can personally make money and give back is by selling my stock. And of course, it's like devastating that I had to do that. But on the other hand, I'm like, well, Paddy's got an order waiting for me. So I know that I can pay for that. And yeah. Adam's got an order from Anatomital as well. So... I've got two orders that I've got really popular things on that I know that I could sell anyway. So 
in a way, I'm kind of like, yay, I've got money, I can afford things. Yeah, it's a bit of a downer because I've sold most of my gold stock. But on the other hand, I've got two uh, orders that are waiting for me. Yeah. So. Cool. So ending on a reasonably high point, certainly higher than some <laughs> other studios. And I'm probably going to wrap this up here, if that's all right. Um, yeah, that's cool. Obviously, the one thing that I um, I haven't uh, uh, one thing that we uh, wanted to do with this is like I say propose a particular piercing subject, whether that's technique or hygiene or whatever, um, to try and talk about as a roundtable discussion um, in a video call, uh, whether that's through Zoom, Zoom or Facebook. Hopefully, sometime later that week. Um, and I wanted to give everyone who um, does the interviews the kind of opportunity to like set that subject um have you got any, any ideas is there anything you'd like to see on that or i would definitely like to see uh more of a um you know like the introduction to high end but like okay an easier eye-opening way for piercers who are listening, who are currently on the stepping stone, who do want to start dabbling into uh, the higher end or the premium uh, kind of area. That's kind of like the stuff that I would like listening to. Like it has been spoken about at UKPP classes and they're great classes, but you know, not everybody can get to UKPP. Not everybody yeah. has the finances to get there. So it's a great idea to definitely to do like a very good breakdown of how you can budget and how you can make profit and how you can start stocking better brands. Okay. That would be a brilliant, brilliant way of doing it. Cool. All right. So introduction to high end. Um, all right, wonderful. Oh, and in which case, we'll definitely set that as a subject for, uh, I don't know when it will go, but maybe this Friday, possibly more realistically next Friday. Um, um, anyway, um, thank you so much for coming on. I really do appreciate it. Um, yeah, cheers. So thanks so much for coming on, Dee. Um, that is the end of the first Piers and Talk show. Um, we'll see um, how this goes from here. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to wrap up the interview with Dee too much because I don't really want to tell anyone what they should be thinking about it. I kind of just want people to be able to listen and um, sort of come up with what they what they think, how, that, how learning from other people's stories can benefit their career. Um, so, so hopefully that you, you will find a way to do that. Um, obviously, the suggestion for the topic, um, which we're going to do on um, the UK PSI Hangout group, um, which um, me, Dee, and uh, Darren Webb, um, and maybe Dominic Chard, I don't know if he's an admin or not, which shows you how much I know about the group that I'm currently admin. Um, uh, and we're just going to do it on there just because we've already got the facility to um, do video calls on there rather than doing it on the UK Piercing Professionals group, which um, at the moment doesn't have that function. So, um, yeah, um, it just means that we've got a little bit more um, ability to um, communicate with people in a more face-to-face way rather than just having it as like a discussion thread. Um, ultimately, I wanted to 
try and build some kind of uh, bridge between just talking on the internet and having a classroom um, or a roundtable discussion at something like conference, and I just not... Yeah, uh, it's supposed to be somewhere between those two things. So, um, yeah, Dee's discussion then that she wants to um, submit is um, uh, introducing high-end jewellery to your studio or introducing studio uh, industry standard jewellery to your, to your studio. So um, that's going to be brands which are verified, um, uh, yeah, verified brands. So whether they're working with verifiably implant-grade titanium, verifiably implant-grade steel, um, niobium or nickel and cadmium-free gold, or if they're platinum as well. Um, so um, if you've got something that you'd like to talk about, whether you think that that's something that you're already doing, and you'd like to talk about how you got into it in your studio, um, and you feel like that story could, could maybe benefit younger piercers, then brilliant, come along. Um, if you don't see the value of doing it at all, then, you know, I'd love to hear your opinions as well. Um, if you're thinking that it's something you'd like to do, but you're kind of maybe looking at your money and thinking like, ah, oh, you know what, I'm really not sure that that's something that I can afford at this stage of my career, um, then definitely come along because, um, like I say, I mean, my introduction to um, the industry standard was um, uh, it, it's September 2019. I bought um, 200 pounds worth of industrial strength, um, and um, at the time I was stocking. Other than that, it was like I say, 200 pounds worth of industrial strength, um, which I think was about. I had like one preem in there, a couple of. Um, uh, menage a trois and like the rest was just like cabs and prongs and things like that so um, I didn't go for those big pieces those like big um, like statement pieces straight away um, and then the rest of my stock was either from um, you know wholesale or quality um, and um, less than 12 months later I was exclusively stocking brands that provided a guarantee and were verified so um, uh, wholesale fronts had gone um, Qualify had gone completely, um, uh, never to return, um, and um, I, I can safely say that I'm kind of where I wanted to be. Um, so yeah, um, come along, and you'll see that posted on the group, kind of time and date, um, so do join that group, and um, we look forward to seeing you there. Thanks for listening.